The concept for EPAR trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for EPAR trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade there is no e-commerce, it's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of EPAR trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. EPAR trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Good morning from California and uh, welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from EPAR Trade, presented to you by ARP and Performance Plus Global Logistics. I am Francis Casavignan, the founder and CEO of EPAR Trade, the global platform for the performance and racing industry. This is episode 238, and we're going to be talking with Joe Marco from HMS Motorsport about safety issue in racing. With me this morning are Judy Kin, the co-founder of EPAR Trade, and Mr. Brad Gilly, our terrific host. Judy? Thank you, Francis. Good morning, everyone. And I was lucky enough to see Joe in uh, North Carolina two weeks ago at the Speedway for Women in Motorsports. But I just want to share with everybody, you are welcome to register for Race Industry Week now. Out there, we confirmed Cal Wells, Justin Marks, Marcus Smith. I mean, it's just a who's who. Mark Rushbrook, Ed Peake. So we're excited. We have a great panel. So make sure you register now. You just need that one link for all week long. So I see Joe coming on board. So off to you, Brad. Well, thank you, Judy. And thank you, Francis. We really appreciate that. And uh, really looking forward to today. Uh, this is going to be a great topic, especially considering how, especially recently in racing, we've seen a lot more concern about safety and uh, you know, the conversation ramping up, which it never goes away and it never should. But obviously with some recent events, we'll definitely talk about those and more. The title for today's webinar, Recent High Profile Motorsport Crashes and Fires, Let's Improve Safety Now. And our panelists, Joe Marco, the owner and president of HMS Motorsport. And Joe, welcome. I hope you're doing well today. Doing great today. Uh, hopefully we're uh, connected here good. I think you can see me and hear me. Um, 
yeah, we really want to talk about a few basic things. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we have Jordan Anderson's situation. We've had, you know, Kurt and, uh, and Alex Bowman have been sidelined. <clears throat> That's on the professional side, but every day at many, many, many tracks around uh, the country, we see drivers that are involved in incidents uh, that are fire related, that are impact related. And those are guys that need to go to work the next day. And, uh, and, you know, racing is a hobby, it's not their profession. So, you know, I think it's important that we, we really address some of these issues and how you can, can better control things in fires and how you can, you know, deal with, you know, the right safety attire, the right impact things. So we're gonna kind of address and try to talk about all those things. Uh, I think the first thing though, we'll, we'll start with uh, would be, you know, fires. Uh, fires are one of the, the worst things that you can deal with. They're one of the most unsettling things if you're a racer that you uh, shall face. And so I, I put together just like three little short snippets of, of some videos from uh, some fires recently. So I'm gonna put that video, I'm gonna share my screen here and uh, I'm gonna put this video up here. Uh, no, not, that's not, not that one there. Wait a second here. Uh, where's my video there? Oh, great. I must have closed that. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, while you're finding the video, uh, let me take this as an opportunity to uh, remind folks that if you have a question for Joe or about our topic, you can always type it into the chat and we'll get as many of them as we can. And, uh, and we see your screen now, Joe. Okay, good. All right. So uh, I've got three videos here. I've got um, a little snippet from uh, Dale, Dale Jr.'s crash out in, uh, in uh, California with a Corvette uh, when he was sharing a car with uh, Morris. If any of you have seen uh, uh, the Dale's podcast recently, he had uh, Boris on and they talked about that and it was a, a pretty you know, eventful situation. It was several years ago. Uh, then the second one is Jordan Anderson's recent crash uh, at uh, Talladega. And then the third one is uh, Colette Davis who was doing a uh, drifting event at uh, VIR a um, month or so ago. So I'm going to play these just so you can kind of see what it we're talking about. trail on the ground and runs the length of so the So this car. is Dale Jr. Uh, fire popped up the in the car. The he had probably 10, 12 seconds that he was in the car. It, it, it just, boom, it just went up in a, in a flash. Um, you see how much damage there is in the car. He kind of rolled out of the car. Uh, they brought him out to the hospital uh, and he had some injuries and I'll talk about that. This is Jordan. Now, Jordan was in that car for probably 19 or 20 seconds from what I can you know, get from watching the video from the time that the push started to the time that the car comes over, slams into the wall. He kind of pops out there. Fortunately, he was... Uh, he was uh, luckily just kind of hit the same time. Then this is the Corvette. If you watch the right, the bottom of the thing, you can see the fire pop up, an oil line popped out. She's trying to get out of the car there. She reaches down for the fire extinguisher, uh, opens the door. Notice that she's not wearing any kind of fire suit or anything like that. Now watch what happens now. She's trying to figure out how to activate the fire extinguisher. She, and she's totally unable to do it. Somebody comes over and gives her a hand on how to, uh, to get it out. Fortunately, she got it now. And then she reaches back into a burning car to turn off the engine. It was good to turn off the engine, but it would have been nice if uh, she maybe did that uh, before she got out of the car. That kind of could have helped a little bit. So those are kind of, you know, 
we'll go back. Uh, those are kind of uh, a quick snippet of, of a couple of um, a couple of videos. I'll, I'll kill that. And uh, go back here to uh, close my screen. There we are, back. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about fires. So the first thing is, is that a lot of fires can be prevented with the proper installation of the fire system. Uh, fire systems nowadays are very advanced. They're, they're not that difficult to install. Um, most of them have the ability to put in several nozzles that are in various different directions. Uh, so for example, you really, there are three parts of the car that you're trying to protect. There's the, uh, or not protect, but to, but to control. And that's a, a fire in the engine compartment which is very often, especially turbo cars, you have an oil line pop off or something like that. Um, you know, you can have a lot of, you can have a fire that's not even a result of an impact. It can be just, you know, mechanical issue that creates a fire. Uh, then obviously wherever your fuel cell or gas tank is, it's good to have a nozzle back there. And the third place is in the cockpit. Now you have a couple of ways you can activate a fire system. It can be done either manually or it can be done uh, with an electronic uh, or with a, an activation through like a glass tube that absorbs the heat. And once it gets to a certain level, that glass pops and it activates uh, the extinguishing coming out. Uh, that's the best thing. And, and in most cases, you can have a system that does both. So you can have the system that will automatically fire uh, by setting off the, uh, the sensor at the end of the, the nozzle. And then you can have a system that you can manually pull uh, or push a button to activate the, the system. Uh, SCCA and some of the some of the series require a manual activation outside of the car, like on to the front, just on the front left. And there'll usually be a fire symbol uh, that's uh, stick, stick, stuck on the car that will indicate to a safety worker where it's going. But in any case, you need to be familiar with what your fire system is, and you and you should think very carefully, you know, that you could have a fire in all three locations. Obviously, the one in the cockpit for you to get out is the most important. But if you, as you saw in those videos, a fire can consume the car rather quickly. And you really should have an extinguishing system that, that's, that hits all of the critical points. Um, now, uh, if you have a manual system to activate or there, you should practice on getting to that, you should be able to reach it while you're belted in. You should be able to know where that is. You should be able to find it with your eyes closed because you may not be able to see because of smoke or whatever else, which, which I think uh, helped a little bit. I think that was an, an issue in Jordan's car. The car was completely filled with smoke. He had no way to be able to see you know, what, what was going on. Um, so you need to practice uh, being able to see you know, where, where that equipment is. Um, the one thing that I found, in, 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 especially in club racing, and it could be in professional racing, most fire systems have a pin to prevent the system from accidentally firing while you're working on the car and the car's in the shop. You need to make sure that that pin is pulled uh, before the event starts. And so you should have some process uh, or some procedure that you follow on a regular basis to make sure that you've, you've activated the fire system uh, before you go out on the racetrack. I've seen a few incidents where the car, there has been a fire and the system doesn't fire either manually or automatically because nobody pulled the darn pin uh, on, the, on the extinguishing system. So that's, that's a really, really, really important thing to do. And then the, the third thing to look at is 
what kind of uh, extinguishing are you using? Uh, the traditional and the least expensive solution is a, a FFF foam type system. Uh, the foam system can work you know, pretty good, reasonably good, as long as it's directed in the right way. But a foam system also leaves a dramatic, uh, some, a significant amount of residue, both in the engine compartment, wherever it goes off uh, below the car, it makes it more difficult to clean up. Uh, you'll find in most NASCARs and, and a lot of other racing that Novec, which is a, a gas-based system, we don't use Halon anymore. Halon is too dangerous for the environment. Then it went to FE36, and now DuPont's latest uh, gas extinguishing is uh, Novec, which is what you'll find in most uh, professional racing. And the Novec is, is great. I mean, it, it will give you maybe a little bit of a sore throat, uh, but it's not that toxic to, to, to breathe in. Uh, but it really does an excellent job in extinguishing the, the fire and the flame and, and kind of uh, starving it out very, very quickly. So looking at what you know, system you have, looking, knowing how your system works and directing the nozzles to where the fire most likely is gonna be. And most systems can have, you can have three, four five nozzles, depending on you know, what you're doing, depending on, uh, on where you expect the fires to go. I would say, uh, if you don't mind, if I could jump in, you had mentioned oh. you were talking about SCCA and some regulations and all of that. And I know uh, after talking about Jordan Anderson's father, uh, fire and talking about some of the NASCAR regulations, that the interior cabin one is really optional. You could have it as the automatic system or you could have it to where uh, it is the driver system. And, and, and look, in a situation like that, obviously Jordan was thinking about a lot of things like getting out of the truck and not necessarily pulling his fire extinguisher and, uh, you know, everything that was going on in that moment. Uh, as far as regulations go for in the cabin, Joe, do you look at this as something that definitely needs to be revisited with all sanctioning bodies and what they do in that moment? Or is there um, a legitimate reason to not want something in the cabin, especially if people worry that these systems could potentially go off accidentally? Maybe if there's a myth there, if you could clear that up. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's never a disadvantage to an automatic firing system. Now, if it's, if it's a you know, an AFFF foam or something that might you know, put, put, put some material. I'm not sure exactly how, you know, that fires in the, in the cockpit. I mean, it covers, you know, the fire area, but I don't know if it would put something up in your face, but an automatic firing system, if it's installed properly, is going to be better in every case. And, and I frankly don't understand why you wouldn't want it. You know, some people might say, oh, it's extra weight. It's another nozzle. It's another thing that I could break in the shop. Uh, which, you know, could, could, you know, cause a problem, you know, if you, if you have the pin in the system and you break the, you know, you break the, the nozzle, uh, the activation, automatic activation thing at, at the end of the, the system, you may not know it. And that could be a problem. So, I mean, there are a few pluses and minuses. If you do an automatic activation system, it's kind of basically a glass bulb that's at the end of the nozzle. And if that bulb gets destroyed or broken or damaged uh, while you're working on the car, you know, you're not out there. Yes, it could be a problem. So, you know, with any, like with any system there, there are pluses and minuses. There's a safety, there's a taking care when the car's in the shop. And sometimes when cars are in the shop, the people don't take as much care might maybe as they should. Uh, we, we all know that we've all experienced that. So, but I mean, I think there's, they're mandating extinguishing available to all three locations in the car, I think is, is critical. And I think any sanctioning organization that, that doesn't really mandate that is, is kind of missing the boat, you know, in any, any racer, especially if you're a weekend racer, again, I can't stress enough that if you're a weekend racer and this is not your profession, 
anything that you can do to improve the safety in your vehicle so that when on Monday morning you can go to work and you're, you can you know, make an income for your family, you know, I think that's what you need to be doing. So now let's talk a little bit about the next part of fires, uh, and that's clothing. Uh, clothing are, is very important. So in the case of, of, of Dale Jr. and in the case of uh, Jordan, uh, and also the case of uh, Colette. Colette didn't really have any any burn injuries, but certainly, you know, Dale Jr. did as well as uh, Jordan had some things and they were not wearing full undergarment uh, fire systems. Um, Jr. had some severe burns on his thighs uh, in, in the back of his legs, uh, a little bit around uh, the, the neck area uh, from, from flames getting in, the, in there. And that's because it, it, it's not wearing a full base layer system. Full base layer means that you're wearing socks, which uh, I believe Jordan had socks, but they weren't fire rated socks. So he did get some burns you know, around, around the ankle. Uh, it's not having uh, a head sock, which a balaclava we call it, or a head sock, or uh, at least a helmet skirt. That's something that's gonna protect the fire coming around the neck and also protect the fire from coming up inside the helmet. Uh, Junior uh, mentioned in, in the video when I was watching that, that we didn't play the, the sound for you, but uh, he, you know, he felt, uh, I saw in the, the thing he had with Boris said at Dirty Mo, you know, he's saying he could feel the fire between his face and the helmet. Uh, so it come, came up underneath the helmet. So having a head sock or a balaclava, you know, is really, is really pretty critical. You know, uh, and a lot of most sanctioning, professional sanctioning organizations require a full layer of, a full set of base layer, you know, Nomex underwear. Um, NASCAR to this point, it's not mandatory. Most drivers are certainly wearing it, but in the case of, of uh, Jordan, he was not wearing, you know, full bottoms. He was wearing whatever underwear he normally wears. And that resulted in possibly some of the, you know, some of the burns that he, he uh, encountered. Uh, and not wearing um, not wearing a balaclava, he had some skin exposed around his neck, and so that you know create that creates problems. So having a full uh, set of base layers, having a full suit, uh, you know, without you know the two piece suits that some people might choose in local circle tracks to wear, it's not ideal because you can get you know if you're if the, if the suit's not fitted properly, if there's a little bit of space between the two pieces and you're not wearing full base layers you might have some exposed area that could create a problem. Um, and then another thing is, is make sure that your visor is locked. You get into an impact, if your visor is not locked down, the possibility of it flipping up and then exposing yourself to uh, more smoke and more fumes than you might otherwise do and exposing yourself to fire is uh, something that, that's there. So it's really important that your visor is locked. Uh, a lot of the new helmets, especially the F1 type helmets and stuff have very specific regulations for how that visor needs to lock. Unfortunately, a lot of the helmet manufacturer, manufacturers now are changing the way visor locks work to make it more secure. Uh, the, the Schubert helmet and the Stilo helmets, they have a two-stage visor. So you have like one click to leave a little bit of air coming in, which is okay. It's not perfectly ideal in the desire of a fire, but then they have a second click, which gives a really tight seal uh, to prevent any kind of flames or fires that, that might be coming in. Yeah, so. Alex Bowman's crash uh, at Texas, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, you can actually see his helmet visor pop up when the car backs into the wall. Right. And I mean, the new, uh, the new uh, FIA standards, like for, so 
we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but there's a, a, a kind of a Schnell 2020 FIA 8859 standard, which is the what most of us, most of the helmets that we're going to wear unless we're in the top level racing. And then there's the 8860 standard, which uh, uh, FIA has, which you'll find a lot of the NASCAR drivers, all IndyCar drivers, all IMSA drivers are required to run the 8860. And they, those all have this much more secure visor lock, uh, which FIA requires that, that it will take an impact from the side or, or, or different impacts from different angles and still is required to keep that visor in a down position. So, you know, and, and, and that's, that's a pretty, pretty important thing, especially in a, in a fire uh, type situation. Um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, wearing, oh, also if you have a, a balaclava on, if you have a mullet or if you happen to be a woman with longer hair or, or a guy with longer hair, uh, or Corey LaJoy, who has really curly big hair, he needs a head sock or he needs a helmet skirt. And ideally, if you have really long hair, a balaclava is probably going to do better so that it, all your hair is contained because hair is one of the most flammable things that you can you have on your body uh, that could light up and really you know create uh, create a problem for you. So you want to be careful uh, to to make sure that all parts of the skin are exposed, are, are you know, free from exposure. And we'll talk a little bit about suits and stuff in a minute. The next thing relative to a fire is what is your exit strategy? And this is probably the most important thing for anybody who's in a race car. First thing is, um, can you get out of the car through the window with your helmet on? In some of the newer sports cars, like uh, some of the later Camaros, uh, maybe the BRZ FRS, uh, some of those cars, if you have a, uh, you know, some size helmets, you may not be able to fit the helmet through the window. You need to know that. And then you also need to know how to get out of the car from either the left-hand side of the car or the right-hand side of the car, because you may find yourself on the side, you may find yourself uh, upside down against a wall. You may, you know, may not have the driver door may not be accessible. So you need to be able to be able to get out of your car from either side. You need to be able to release your seat belts, window nets, interior nets. If you have one, uh, IMSA requires nets around the sides of the seat. You need to be able to release all of those things not only with your eyes open, but also with your eyes closed, because if the car is engulfed in smoke and everything inside the car, you're not going to be able to see that. Uh, that was one of the things that uh, Dale Jr. mentioned in, when he, in his, uh, his uh, Dirty Mo session, is that he, when he was initially kind of surprised by what was going on, and he realized he didn't know exactly how to release the window net, uh, because it was different than it was in, uh, in his cup car. So it's important that you really look at your car, you practice with your eyes open, you practice with your eyes closed, you practice going out the left side, you practice going out the right side, whether the door can open, whether the door, if you don't have a door, uh, all those things are important. And you should be able to get out of your car within six to seven seconds. A fire suit, uh, an SFI uh, 3.2 slash five or 3.4 slash five is good for you know, seven to 10 seconds. Uh, and then after that, it's, it's not that the suit's going to go away, but you have much more risk of, of getting injuries because of the, the superheat that's coming through the suit uh, and getting to, to, to the parts of the body. So exiting the car, practicing that exit on a regular basis is absolutely, absolutely important. Now, drag racing has much different, uh, they have a, a much higher suit standard for, uh, for fire protection. Uh, 
Um, we don't deal that much with drag racing, but but the suits are quite, some of them are quite heavy, but they have a, a, a much more time uh, to, you know, before the suit creates, you know, problems for you. Um, and then, you know, so we talked about exit, we talked about practice. So all those things are really critical about fire. I don't know if we have some questions here about fire. Yeah, there are a few, um, and, and I'll just uh, hit them in order here. Um, John Evans says, some series allow the safety pin to be kept in the system, making extra work to deploy the suppression system. Um, I don't know if you have a comment on that. I Looks can't like understand you might. that one. Uh, you know, it just, if the pin is in it, nobody's going to be able to release it in an emergency. Nobody's going to reach in and find that pin to release, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, what do you think about element handheld fire extinguishers? Uh, they're awesome. I mean, uh, we we sell them. Uh, we we actually distribute them. Uh, I I think they are, you know, much better than probably most of the handheld systems that you're going to have in a car for like track days and for some things. Most racing organizations, uh, if it's a full race thing, I don't know that they um, will take that in lieu of a uh, of a fire system if they require a fire system but from a realistic standpoint you know if you have one that's within reach that you can get to in the car it's a gas it goes off uh, for either 50 seconds or you can get one that's a uh, hundred seconds and they do an incredibly effective job with a, a gas uh, that uh, that that basically sucks sucks the oxygen out and and you know puts the fire out pretty good and they are also good for a b c k for pretty much any kind of uh, fire. So I've actually replaced all the extinguishers in my house and the garage and everywhere else with that particular system. Because if you set that off and it works just like a flare, you pop off the bottom, you hit the, you pop the thing off the top, hit it, and then you kind of hold it. Um, it really will put out any fire and it's not going to leave a residue. We had a, an SCCA uh, autocross guy, a Corvette that had a, um, an oil line come off and he actually set the thing off and rolled it under his car and it put the fire out. And he was actually able to get going and, and run later in the afternoon again, because it, it got the fire out immediately, didn't do any extra damage to the thing that just, you know, flamed out. So I think they're an excellent thing. You know, a lot of times a fire, if you're a track day person and you put an element in the car, you know, the more likelihood is you're going to use it for somebody else's car. <laughs> you're going to come up and it's, it's something, but I mean, it, it's, it's probably the best thing that I've seen to use, you know, that, that throw one. I have one, I have a bunch of classic cars. I have not a bunch, I have three. And I have one in every single one of those cars. Uh, and because I, I don't want to create damage, but I want to get the fire out quick. And that's a really excellent thing for that. Uh, I think BMW Club and a couple of other clubs have, or Porsche Club has allowed that as their extinguisher for track days. Um, you know, the, the longer one is a great for a gasoline fire and a pit, pit lane. I mean, it's really something that I think is good. Put it in your your hauler, uh, you know, for something that's a great system. Because it's not a SFI or an FIA thing, it's not going to take the uh, uh, certified particular device. It's not going to take the place of an actual fire system that's required in the car if you require a system. Okay. Uh, and another, uh, Adina Paris says, in drag racing, many times the issue is if it's not mandated, People don't bother. I create racer safety awareness on my social media accounts, and I see it often. You know, Joe, um, I, I don't know really where we are today in some of the rule books with various sanctioning bodies. It seemed like in the past, some of the sanctioning bodies were 
Um, I don't know if they were more hesitant to put in stricter safety measures in their rules or just left that up to the individual racer. But you do see that all the time. Like you said earlier, hey, if it's extra weight, I don't need it in the car. But, you know, for me, I've always said first money should always be spent on safety. Um, but people don't always think that way. Should sanctioning bodies force it more? It's got to be a sanctioning body that requires it. I mean, uh, uh, USAC is uh, or World of Outlaws is uh, mandating for this coming season. They'll be they're mandating uh, fire systems, and they the outlaw cars. You see a lot of fires in those cars. I mean, they're running methanol. Uh, the the thing with methanol is you can't even see the fire. Uh, it, it's 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 it glows you know white. It doesn't glow red. And so that can be a real problem. And you can watch videos all over the YouTube to, to see what's going on. So getting that fire out as quickly as possible. But yeah, I mean, I hear teams saying, yeah, well, we'll put it in. You know, if the sanctioning body doesn't check the systems to make sure that they're charged, you know, it, it, it can be a problem. I mean, it, you know, one I've heard, I've heard the argument that, well, we're not going to mandate it because the teams are not going to make sure they work and we don't have the personnel to police it. Um, you know, weight's always an issue, you know, not people don't want to run the extra nozzles because it's a little bit extra weight. Um, and if you run it, it might be low in the car. So therefore, you know, or it might be higher in the car. So there it's, you know, it, it, people care, care about grams in some of the racing series, uh, certainly. So that's not an excuse because if you, if you have a driver that has to sit out several races or, or worse, or if you can't drive to work on Monday, you know, what's that worth? I mean, and, and so find some other, you know, have the driver uh, lose a couple of pounds and then you can make up for the difference in uh, the weight of the fire system. <laughs> yeah. Well, well said, well said. All right. Uh, th those are the last questions we have about fire. So, okay. So let's talk uh, next about the safety attire. Uh, so basically I recommend, as I already mentioned earlier that you should have a, a I recommend a one piece suit over a two piece suit because a two piece suit, depending on how you're moving or whatever, can allow flames to get in between. Um, <clears throat> be careful with embroidery that you add and, uh, and graphics that you add, because uh, we had an issue a few years ago uh, with graphics on, on, on NASCAR suits, where when, as the this printed graphics were becoming much more popular, we had some suits with a lot of graphics and they did a test on it and they found out that the graphics were very flammable. So there are ways to have graphics that are printed that are done with a flame resistant cover over top of it. And that's actually required for the SFI uh, 3.4-5 suit and the FIA suits of a similar kind of requirement. And what that requirement is, is, the graphics are supposed to be put onto the suit before they're delivered. And the manufacturer is supposed to take pictures of it and verify that, hey, these are the graphics that are we've we've put on it that are with the proper Nomex thread. They're with the proper uh, covering over the the vinyl graphics. But if you just take your suit to the local place, you know if you're going to do embroidery, make sure that at a minimum they're using Nomex thread because if not, that thread's going to catch fire. And that's if you put a big graphic of of uh, embroidery in your suit and it's not Nomex you now have violated the suit. The threads can catch fire, it can go through and you create a greater you know, risk to yourself uh, for, for that. So you wanna be careful you know, where you take a suit to, is the embroidery being done with Nomex thread? Printing, there are very few places that have the technology to print graphics and have it fire rated over top. 
So if you're gonna do that, I don't recommend it, but if you do it, make sure that the graphics are not so large and not so encompassing of the suit because be aware that they could be, they could catch fire and they could create an additional problem. Uh, make sure you have the full base layers, including socks. You know, it's a, you know, if a regular non-Nomex sock or a non-fire rated sock is gonna disappear very quickly and create a problem or maybe exasperate the problem by, you know, catching fire sooner. Uh, make sure that you your gloves are, are have a nice elastic band around the top and that you wear them, uh, you know, so that they're up your sleeve and the suit goes over top of it so that you have no way for, for fire to get with inside that. Uh, we already talked about, uh, you know, long hair and stuff. That's, that's important. And make sure that your visor is down and locked. So that's the first thing. Um, we talked about exit strategy. So that was, that's, that's a good, uh, that's a good, a good thing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about cooling and hydration uh, because, you know, we're, we're talking about safety and we're talking about, you know, things. If you don't have the right cooling and the right hydration and the right base layers, you know, you're going to be much more less focused on what's happening, more thinking about what's going on. First thing that people, the first thing that people think is if I put on these base layers, I'm going to be really hot. All this extra clothes, that's going to make me hot. Well, yeah, if you're walking around the paddock, you're going to be uncomfortably warm. But when you get in the car and you start to sweat a little bit, those base layers are going to wick the moisture away from your body and they're going to dissipate it out of the suit. Suits will, will dissipate moisture through the suit. The base layers will bring that moisture off of the body and will put it out to the suit. Now, there's two things that's gonna do. First thing is it's going to keep you cooler once you start sweating. Second thing it's gonna do is that moisture coming away from the body, if your suit gets heated in a fire for seven, 10 seconds, <clears throat> that's super heated. And what that's doing is it's taking any moisture that's underneath the suit outer layer and anything that rests against your skin and it's gonna create a steam burn. So if you're wearing cotton boxers or a cotton t-shirt, what's gonna happen is that cotton does not put that moisture away. It does not wick the moisture away from your body. It keeps it against your body. So even though you're protected with the suit from the fire, that cotton is going to be superheated and that moisture in the cotton is gonna then create a steam burn against your body. So the flames have not gone through the suit. The suit's done its job, but you're gonna end up with a, a nice burn and it could be a very severe burn, such as uh, Junior had, such as Jordan had in some of the areas, which is a result of the, of the moisture against the body, the suit being superheated, touching the skin, that's what creates the burn. Now, if you wear polyester underneath the suit, that will also get superheated. And then what you're gonna be doing is you're going to be peeling plastic off your skin, very painful. So, you know, a nice Under Armour shirt that's a, made out of polyester or something, that's like the worst thing you're gonna do. It's gonna heat up, just, it's not gonna wick the moisture away, it's gonna heat up and it's gonna actually stick to your skin. So when you're in the, when you're in the infield care center, the emergency room, you're gonna have a, a very painful experience of removing that. So no cotton, no polyester, full base layers with nothing underneath the base layers, okay? And that that's what you need to be, be wearing uh, when you're at the track. Uh, anything less than that, you're gonna be hotter. So now the base layer, because it's wicking that moisture away from your body, that's going to actually keep 
the heat down while you're racing. So it's going to maybe reduce your heart rate. It's going to do that. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, when we talk about cooling and, and things. So it's really important that, that you, you know, look at the, the way you're wearing the clothes. Um, and we'll, all right, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about other things you can do. So now a lot of the NASCAR drivers and IndyCar drivers, they're using like a Rini cool shirt, which has got a, basically a, an air conditioner, which is running uh, water through, it's cooled water through the suit. Now, there are some cooling systems out there that are, have like ice and, and, and they have things in there. Once that ice gets heated up, okay, and if the system keeps pumping, it's going to pump warmer and warmer and warmer air. You want to look for a system that has a, an automatic shutoff, first of all. Uh, there are systems out there that from manufacturers that have basically like an air conditioning system that's cooling liquid. <clears throat> and some of them will shut off automatically if there's a problem with the system. So it's not rotating. So therefore it's not going to heat up any more than what your body temperature is. But if you have a system that's continuing to flow that liquid and the cooling is not happening to that liquid, that could become a real problem. And there've been drivers that have reported issues you know, that have happened like and you can actually, you know, you, you got 150 degrees or something, which is the temperature in the car, that could be, you know, that could be a real, real problem. The other thing is, is that these cooling, cool shirts and things like that, you need to start them before you get in, when you get into the car immediately before you start racing, you can't say, okay, now I'm heating up, now I'm going to turn it on. Okay, that, that's not, because it's not going to go through the proper process, you've already heated up any fluid that's already in the shirt and stuff. And now you, it, it's an issue to, to do it. So you wanna make sure those things are started. You wanna make sure that if, if, if you have a system that uses ice in it, that you can get to the shutoff so you can shut the system off if you need to, if it stops uh, providing the cooling. Now, doing the proper cooling and now base layers, um, we, we actually, I'll do a little plug for something. I, I try not to do commercials or anything, but we have a base layer called Wolero. Uh, and Wolero is a little bit different than some of the other base layers in that it's made with a, a, a fiber called Outlast. And what Outlast does, it was developed by uh, Outlast for NASA, for space shuttle and fighter pilots. And it's actually, you can buy a lot of outdoor clothes. You can buy sheets with Outlast. You can do it. And what that, what that does is it's actually a, a fiber that gets woven into the regular fabric to the Nomex or Carbonex or Protol, whatever is used as your fire return. And that what it will do is it will absorb heat and put heat back to the body, depending on what it needs. So it will help to actually reduce the core body temperature and keep it at a more constant level. It might reduce your peak heart rate, but more importantly, it deals with the issue of hydration. Uh, drivers that have tried to have used this have found like Corey LaJoy in 2017, I think had four, uh, four trips to the infield care center for fluids. In 2018 and 19, he had zero. Uh, 2020, I think he had one. Uh, now he's uh, using a, a Rini, uh, Rini cool shirt on really hot races. He might use the Valero on some of the, those shorter, cooler races. But you know, having something that that maintains you know your temperature. There's systems out there. There there are products out there that have <clears throat> treatments that make you feel cool when you put it on. Okay, but that actually is doing the opposite of what you're trying to do. If you put on something that is uh, cool and it feels cool, your body is going to try to compensate for that by actually heating up. 
So it's doing the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. So you want to make sure you're using a good quality base layer uh, that is uh, is working, you know, with you and not not against you. So that that's a, an important thing to to keep going. Um, and then really, uh, let's talk about a little bit about impacts. So when you have an impact, there are a few things that happen. Um, Cody uh, Cody Ware, his impact recently uh, was a frontal, really strong frontal. <clears throat> we got Cody's a, a driver that we, we've worked with for a long time, a good friend of mine, uh, uses Willero by the way. Uh, but he, uh, he, we got his helmet back because we sold him his helmet. And his, the front EPS of his helmet was compressed almost a quarter of an inch. Wow. And that's because when he hit so hard, it's not because it's because the, the tether from the Hans device is holding the, is keeping the helmet back and putting a tremendous amount of pressure going forward. And that compression basically makes the helmet, you know, it's no good anymore. It's done its job. So the EPS foam inside that helmet is designed to compress. And as it compresses, it absorbs that energy, but now it's done its job. It's not gonna come back. So when you put on a helmet, you don't wanna keep pushing down on it because that's making the helmet bigger. If you had a number of frontal impacts, okay, you're con constantly compressing that EPS foam, EPS foam. If you look at the underneath the liners of your helmet, you can see often that there's a, like a black paint on it or in, in many helmets. And if that black paint is crackled, and you can, it's not smooth, that's an indication that that EPS has been compressed and it's time to replace your helmet. You know, if you drop your helmet on the, on the ground or, or if you're a certain driver and throw it on the ground, uh, which we know who that is, uh, you know, that helmet, uh, thank you for that driver because now we, you get a new order, helmet order. Um, you know, that helmet uh, shell is violated and it, and it may be cracked. You can't really tell. There's no way to x-ray it or to look at it with a visible eye. But if you violate the outer shell and there's another problem, that could be a real issue. So you want to be careful. You know, if you have an impact, look at your helmet or have somebody look at your helmet. The Hans tethers or the tethers on your frontal head restraint should probably be respaced if it's a 45 or a degree or frontal helmet, uh, frontal impact. Um, and then you should look also at the belts. If you see like most of the belts have like a patch if you see the patch that's sewn on, the branding patch, and you see it's, it's kind of wavy, then that means that you can see pretty clearly that the belts have been stretched and that they've been used and the belts should probably be replaced. NASCAR has, a, has a sensors in the, in, the, in the system that they can tell how big the impact is. So they'll, you know, they can say, all right, hey, if it's 40 Gs or whatever, we're gonna replace the belt and, and on whatever the standard that the team has. One big thing, and this is for every single circle track and every single driver and every single series, is when you're belted into the car, if you take a ruler and you look, go around your head while you're sitting back in the seat, if there's any bar that's within that 12 inches to 14 inches, it needs to have high density roll bar padding. If you have this uh, typical pipe insulation that you see, uh, which, which are the old type roll bar padding, if I were to put a, you know, a, Steve Peterson did a, a presentation at a NASCAR, a seminar where he dropped a five pound shot put onto that kind of roll bar padding, you know, that we always used to use. And he could, and it would bounce back up and he could catch it three feet off the ground. Okay, if you drop it onto the new SFI padding, the 45.1, padding, you drop it, it's only gonna come up about six inches. And why is that better? It's because it's absorbing the energy. Whereas the other padding is actually letting you hit the bar 
and throwing your head backwards. It's bouncing it back. So it's, it's far worse off uh, doing that. So really, you know, on the local, your local circle track, your sports car racer, your track day, put high density padding anywhere that you can get that ruler 12 inches around your head. That could be the difference between you driving to work on Monday or having a severe concussion or, or head injury. Um, really critical, really critical things uh, to, to do. Also under your butt, <clears throat> never use any kind of soft padding or anything underneath uh, to, to raise you up or to bring you out. Uh, you can get sheet padding that's SFI sheet padding 45.2. Uh, you can cut it out to whatever shape. You can use that to put under the seat. NASCAR now requires a minimum of three quarters of an inch of high density padding underneath your butt. Uh, you're better off with a, an inch to an inch and a half uh, because that will help in, in the event that the car kind of goes into something, comes up and then drops down. That'll give you uh, extra protection for your spine. So really important. So I think we covered a little bit of all those things. Uh, hopefully, you know, you've all seen there. I mean, it might be in time for if there's another question or two, but I think we're getting pretty close to our 45 minutes. We are. Yeah, I, I do have a curious question about helmets. Um, sure. Just simply because, look, we see some really cool looking helmets and some great designs on those helmets. And, and to get to there, a lot of times the painters end up disassembling them in some form or fashion to be able to you know, make it look like it does and obviously reassembling that. What do people need to know in that process? Well, we, we, what we do is we actually send the helmet to the painter uh, for the driver uh, disassembled for the most part or as much as possible. And then we get it back and we reassemble it. Uh, it's really important if you have a radio, some, uh, somebody install radio equipment or whatever that they know what they're doing because we get helmets back from various people, whether they do it themselves or somebody who's less experienced. And they've, you know, the cheek pads have been cracked. Uh, the, 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 they've carved out spaces for, for electronics and stuff that, that's reducing what that overall, what the, the effectiveness of that EPS. So it's really important <clears throat> that painters, and the good painters are, are pretty experienced in this now, but, you know, we try to, to have as much reduce what the painters are putting back together. We'd like to get the helmets back, reassemble them and make sure it goes out to the customer. But if you do it, make sure that you don't, you know, lift the cheek pad up, make sure that when you get the helmet back from the painter, that the, the cheek pads are solid, they're intact, that they're properly placed. You know, it's, it's really important. And I have to say the painters are, have gotten a lot better. Um, we worked with a lot of the painters and we kept telling them, you know, so. Good. Now, that's wonderful. And, and one quick final question, too, because sometimes someone might buy a race car from someone and they go race it and they might look at the tags on the seatbelts and say, oh, wow, these are only a year older. They're within spec. Um, but realistically, unless you were the one who installed it, who used it and all of that, even if it's within its time frame, what would you tell them? You know, it really depends. I mean, if it's a... <clears throat> you know, a garage cream track car and their the belts are in date and they look like, you know, you have to inspect it. I mean, if you inspect the belt, there's no frame marks. There's nothing that looks like it's been run through the adjuster too many times. You know, if you look, look through every place where the belt passes through, if there's any indication whatsoever that the belt is shown any signs of wear or worse, if there's any little cut or nick or anything in the webbing, that can, you know, that's a, sheer, a clear sign that you should do it. Um, you know, if you don't, the wavy, waviness on the shoulder belts, things like that, 
I mean, you can you can reasonably inspect the belts, you know, to do it. Now, if it's a dirt car and it's been out in the the, the mud and the stuff like that, you got to be a little bit more careful because it's harder to tell the belts get dirty. You know, most of the belts, fortunately, nowadays, uh, the more you know, more slightly more expensive belts are polyester, which is much more resistant to dirt and grime, and you can wash it actually with a kind of a soapy water and rinse it off. Nylon webbing is not so great. You really should try to get polyester belts if you can. Uh, nowadays, they're not that much more expensive at any more expensive than a nylon belt, but they're way more resistant to battery acid and water and rain and whatever else you might throw at it. Wow. Very informative, Joe. This has been fantastic. And uh, I know you and the folks at HMS Motorsport um, really are at the forefront of this. So we appreciate you sharing all of this with us. Yeah, great. I love to love doing these things. Well, thank thank you very much, Joe. Uh, you have so much expertise and so much you know experience as well to share with 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 the industry. So we really appreciate. And we pushed actually uh, your Valeros product back on the homepage of the Portrait platform as well as the uh, on's device. And so uh, thank you very much for watching us today. This webinar has been recorded. It will be posted later on the Portrait platform, distributed through our newsletters and social media channels. We will be back next Wednesday for our last episode of this season 239 and we're going to be talking counterfeit which is actually a big issue also in safety and so we have some uh, high uh, uh, level people including a, a very uh, uh, strong lawyer and a good friend of us uh, 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 JC Conchelli the founder of AEM uh, that have been fighting this uh, uh, very important issue so this will be the last episode of this year's season we'll take a few weeks off to get ready for race industry week we'll Will be live for five days starting on the 28th of november so thank you very much for being with us today thank you very much joe and then uh, brad we'll see you very soon on race industry week thank, thank you bye-bye registering on epar trade is easy to start click on the join for free button on the home page first search your company to see if it's already in our database if you see your company on the list Click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a new company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, and choose a secure password. If you chose Register a New Company, you'll need to choose your business type. Select Supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose Racing Business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose Race Team if you own or are a member of a professional race team. Then, enter your company name. Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePartrade.